0: Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. After they had finished a miraculous breakfast together on the beach, the risen Christ asked Peter an all-important question, the same question that he asks you and me. Do you love me? This is the message based on that story from John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. It's entitled, Do You Love Me? And it begins with an answer to another question. Why do people climb mountains? In his book entitled, Alive from the Center, Earl Palmer tells the story of an American mountain climber who has come up with what I think is the quintessential answer to the perennial question, why do people climb mountains? And no, the answer's not simply because it's there. Rather, he says, the reason that people climb mountains is that they have a universal desire to find the point of convergence. How's that for an answer? He goes on to explain what he means there. He explains that the most dramatic moment in mountaineering is that one in which the climber ascends to the true summit. When he gets to the absolute peak of the mountain, this is the place where all the lines come together. It is the singular point where each trail comes to an end and every impossible fragmented ridge is resolved in one single outcropping of rock and ice. And after having struggled in a long, arduous climb through morass of rock, timber, and river systems, for this climber to now stand in one place to experience both the vastness of the sky above and the earth below, well, that's everything. That's the whole reason you do it, right? and it fills the mind, body, and spirit. It is, Palmer writes, quite literally, the physical convergence of time, space, and geography. Now, I gotta tell you, I love that image. But let me just say here, as someone who really doesn't climb mountains, that the summit of Mount Washington, or for that matter, the summit of Mount Katahdin, is not the only place where someone will find that point of convergence. Life is, in fact, filled with convergent moments. An Olympic athlete, for instance, something else, I'm not, they might find that convergent point amidst the intense competition that results in a gold medal. For an artist or a musician, it's the perfect rush of creativity that finds its way to the canvas or in a song. I think back to my days as a young person playing in a band with my father and my uncle and a couple of other guys for for Saturday night dances, and we had a great time playing music together. Every once in a while, we would be playing some music and we'd look at each other and say, man, this is good. This feels wonderful. That's a point of convergence. There, those kind of moments are also found right within all these little but quintessential moments that make up our daily lives. It, it happens when you realize you've fallen in love. It happens when you have figured out what you're good at. It's when you hold your children in your arms. Or for that matter, it comes in the times when in the midst of life's most difficult circumstances, somehow in the midst of that struggle, we garner the strength and the courage and might I add the faith we need at that precise moment to do what needs to be done. My point in all this is to say that there are many points of convergence in our lives. These are the times when suddenly and perhaps fleetingly, everything in life and living comes together as a whole. And our spirits are lifted as we discover in clear and unalloyed fashion just what it is or just who it is that it is of the most importance in our lives. Well, it seems to me that as John tells the story in our text for this morning, Peter is having his own moment of convergence. And it's happening right there before the risen Lord. And it happens at that moment when Jesus asks of Peter Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, you should know that this particular passage from John's Gospel is thought by most biblical scholars to be something of an addendum to the resurrection story. But in a very real way, it is a passage that, for my money anyway, kind of brings the Gospel story full circle. Now, the back story here is that all throughout this particular night and into the morning, the disciples had been fishing, which is interesting that when you consider that three years before, when Jesus had first called these men to follow him, they'd been fishing then, too. And in all honesty, as Kay read the story to us today, we discovered that they hadn't been having any better luck catching fish now than they had back then. But just like before, and at the same time, unlike ever before, here came Jesus, providing them with an ample catch of 153 fish, and it should be added, breakfast on the beach. Now, the whole scene, I love that scene, in John's Gospel, because it really is very warm, it's very familiar. I don't know about you, but it reminds me of countless family dinners I've shared in over the years that just felt so good to have everybody together. The food was almost secondary. But at the same time, this particular meal, as warm and familiar as it was, was different, very, very different. And not simply because Jesus had risen from the dead, either, although that was more than enough. It was because everything was changing. And not just that, again, that Jesus had risen from the dead, but the disciples themselves had changed. For you see, they were no longer the same motley group of fishermen as before. This bunch had seen too many wonders and miracles for that. They'd learned far too much along the way for them to be anywhere near to the people they were before. In the 3 years they had followed Jesus, they'd known moments of both inexpressible joy and untold agony. They had experienced things that they couldn't even have imagined before. But now was a part of their lives would never go away. Not only that, they'd made promises. Promises that in the end, they couldn't keep. These disciples had made vows of loyalty. But as you know, they had hidden in fear when things got rough. And even now, when the the worst was over and the news was indeed good, As familiar as it all was, as wonderful as it was to be having breakfast with a risen Savior on the beach, the disciples nonetheless were a little unsettled because they wonder where they stood. They wonder what it was they were supposed to do next. Nowhere was this sense of uncertainty more profound than in Simon Peter. For it had been Peter who had been amongst the first to leave everything to follow Jesus, right? It was Peter who was faced with that dramatic moment of decision in the wee hours of that fateful Friday morning. And it was Peter who had fallen short. Not just once, mind you, but three times. And now, though he would never thought it possible... Peter was about to face the moment of decision all over again. Every single thing in Peter's life, every impulsive word he ever spoke, every bold assertion that he'd ever made, every rash decision, every utter failure was all about to converge on Jesus' question. And the question is, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Now, of course, you noticed as you heard the story again today that Jesus asked this question not once, but three times. As if to respond to each of Peter's three denials. Moreover, in some translations of Scripture, it's not just, do you love me? But it is, do you truly love me? As if to place that much more of a weight onto the question. Some of you might remember uh, that on Monday, Thursday, I lifted up a a theory hosted by uh, Craig Barnes at Princeton Seminary that suggested that Peter's three denials were not so much denials as it was his sudden understanding in the midst of, of the passion that he really hadn't been a disciple of Jesus after all. That it was all great and good to follow Jesus, but now that the cross was there, no, nope, I can't handle that. Well, when you think about that theory, and, and actually has sort of kind of encompassed a lot of my, of my thought and reflection throughout this Easter season, you realize that what's happening here tracks very much with this idea that, that Peter Sort of decided he wasn't a disciple. Do you love me? This question that Jesus asked could just have easily have been Peter, are you my disciple? Are you my disciple? Or are you not? You'll also notice in this text that with each question that Jesus poses, Peter grows more and more agitated as though, incredibly, he was amazed and even hurt that Jesus might not believe it (laughs) when Peter answers by saying, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It's worth noting also in the original Greek of this passage that there are actually two different Greek words that are translated as love. One is agape, which speaks of devotion and sacrifice. And the other one is phileo, which refers to companionship and and loyalty. It's a slightly different wording that Jesus uses here, you see, to, to drive the point home that love, true love, and, might I add, true discipleship, is not just something you say. It's not something that you merely claim. It's something that you do. And it involves the whole of life. It includes all of who you are. That's why when Peter answers each time by saying with increasing frustration, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus immediately responds by saying, Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. In other words, Peter, do you love me more than your fishing nets and your boats and your life before you followed me? Peter, do you love me more than your fear and your pride and the uncertainty of the future? Peter, do you love me more than your weakness, more than your doubt? If the answer is yes, Jesus says, then do something about it. Demonstrate your love. Make it real in your care of those whom I love. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. It is a true moment of convergence for Peter. And it is powerful and touching. Perhaps because in Jesus asking the question and in Peter's answer, one way or the other, we cannot help but see ourselves. Because once again, what we have here in the gospel is not only the question that Jesus asks of Peter, it is the question that he asks of us. Do you love me? Do you truly love me? Do you love me more than your family? Do you love me more than your friends? Do you love me more than your job or your fun or your fears or your doubts? Do you truly love me more than your settled ways of thinking and being and living? Do you love me, really? Well, that's what Jesus asked Peter, and that's what Jesus is asking us. And it seems to me, friends, that with every choice that we make in our faith, we're given an answer. The answer comes in every one of the personal and private decisions that we make every single day of our lives. Some of them seemingly inconsequential, others that that make all the difference in what's to come. From the conversations over coffee that are more about caring listening than it is about the sound of our own voices. To the ways we endeavor to actually live out of a welcoming spirit in the way that we conduct ourselves at work, in the ways that we play, and, and also in the way that we worship. From the kind of personal, moral, and ethical standards we diligently seek to apply to our own lives and our relationships to embodying the kind of risk-taking love that ultimately thwarts business as usual and confounds the status quo. It's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer once referred to as jamming a spoke in the wheel of the world's injustice from the ways we choose to respond with deep forgiveness to those who have hurt us, to standing firm on the ground of a strong conviction of joy and hope and peace, even when the powers that be would slap us down for it. These are the times. These are the choices in which we answer that question. Do you love me? Simply put, friends, if we do love Jesus, if we really love Jesus, if we are going to be his disciples, then Jesus' ministry becomes our ministry. And we are surrounded by his lambs and his sheep, the ones we are to feed and tend and follow. Of course, as was the case with Peter before us, and this particular moment of convergence is a humbling one at best. Because here's the thing, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, and especially if we're going to be honest with Jesus, when he asks the question, our utter failures at love cannot help but be laid bare. We have not loved him as we should. More often than not, our lofty intentions to love one another as we have been loved usually tends to fizzle out at the first sign of struggle or conflict. Like Peter, we might be very quick to answer Jesus, you know that I love you. But all too often, our lives fail to match up to the rhetoric. But while that may be true, Let's not misunderstand. Jesus does not ask this question of Peter or to us to remind us of just how hopeless or unworthy we are in faith. On the contrary. And for me, this is what makes this such a touching moment in John's gospel, is that Jesus ends up offering Peter is both forgiveness for his past failures and an emboldening renewal for the future. This is what I mean when I say that this brings the gospel full circle, because what Jesus is giving here is a call to discipleship, hand in hand with the empowerment to move forward. And when you think about it that way, it really is a lot like climbing that mountain summit in order to reach the single point that is directed wholly toward heaven. Truthfully, friends, I've always kind of thought of the Christian walk just that way. The journey we take as his disciples is filled with exhilaration and wonder, but there's also rough stretches that drain us of pretty much any kind of energy we ever had. Moments in which we find ourselves so exhausted by the effort there are moments when we wonder if we can possibly go one more step. There are days that we rise to the occasion, whatever that means, but there are other times, a whole lot of times, when we have found ourselves to wander off the right pathway and fall far short of the mark where faith is concerned. In other words, we're much more like Peter than we'd really like to admit. But here's the point of this wonderful story. We keep walking anyway. We keep walking day by day, step by step, carrying with us all those fragmented, disjointed parts of our lives. We limp along sometimes. Sometimes we find our second wind, but we do it. We keep going. And as we do, we'll pause, and we will stop and feed Jesus' lambs. We will tend his sheep and we do what he's called us to do, and we live in the way that he has taught us, and we do it all in the knowledge that in giving all that we are to Christ, in the end, the journey comes together in one place. Every other aspect of our life comes together in that one point, the convergence of heaven and earth that is the kingdom of That's what Jesus is asking when he says, do you love me? Do you really and truly love me? I hope and I pray today that as our walk of faith continues, our very lives will show that we do love Jesus. And as we continue to follow, as we listen to Jesus' questions, and as we seek to to answer those questions with faith and with love, may our thanks be unto God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Do You Love Me? It was recorded during our May the 1st service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire, where, by the way, we gather for worship every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road. If you're looking for a place to worship on this or any Sunday, we would love to have you join us. We are a small, mighty, and very welcoming congregation, and I think you'll be glad you came. And with that, we come to the close of this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.